Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. I am your host, Joshua Johnson. With me, as always, is Nick Hale to the Redskins. Wagner, Nick, what's up, buddy? Oh, not much, Josh. Uh, looks like we got a new highest-paid defensive player in the NFL. Uh, as a Raiders fan, did you have any thoughts you wanted to give on that Von Miller contract right off the bat? Uh, just hope it cripples them free agency-wise the next couple of years. That's all I'm going to say. Um, um, and in case you missed my article last week, in most formats, I guess I guess the DFW 36 format, which is actually pretty aggressive for defensive players, uh, the highest paid defensive player, Von Miller, was linebacker number 49 last year. So uh, that's that's the difference between IDP and uh, real player values, especially I guess when you win the Super Bowl MVP. But uh, that's that's all I'll say on that matter. Uh, we've got a great stroll for you today. We're going to um, thought it'd be fun to turn the clock back a couple of years and redo um, the r- 2014 rookie draft. Um, probably won't see Mark Lee go above Odell Beckham like, like maybe happened back in the day. Um, but uh, we'll get to that here in just a few minutes. We're going to ta- do a dynasty dilemma. We also talk about what, what it goes into a great fantasy team name. Um, some fantasy trade analysis, some bold predictions, a whole bunch of plant your flag and wash your hands. So good show for you planned today. We will be off next week, uh, but the following week we will reconvene, hopefully, uh, with uh, Ricky Cobb of the Super 70 Sportcast. That's, it's going to be a whole lot of fun as we take a look back, even further back, I should say. So, um, Any other thoughts on the, the news of the week? We know uh, Muhammad Wilkerson got his deal. Maybe that opens things up for uh, Fitzpatrick. What do you think? Uh, I've also heard, I mean, it's just rumors, but that 49ers might cut Kaepernick before camp. Does that does that affect Fitzpatrick, you think, Nick? What do you think? 
I don't see how that would really affect uh, Fitzpatrick at all. Um, the Wilkerson deal was a little bit of a surprise. It seemed like ever since they uh, drafted Williams in last year's draft, it was pretty much a foregone conclusion that Wilkerson would play out the one year on the franchise tag this year and and then be uh, headed elsewhere. So that, but that was nice to see them uh, keeping keeping the talented defensive lineman there in the fold. Yeah, and I think Sheldon Richardson is going to be a free agent. Next offseason, don't quote me on that, but very soon. So I wouldn't be surprised, especially given the off-field issues that he's uh, had. And I think he's suspended already for the first game this year. They let him let him walk there. So I think it was a, certainly a wise move. But uh, they got, you know, arguably three of the top, probably 30 defensive linemen in the NFL this year in Leonard Williams, Sheldon Richardson, and Mohamed Wilkerson. So neither one of them were a quarterback, of course, but uh, – there's still hope for uh, Gino, right? Um, let's just uh, get into it. Um, I guess I'll let Nick go first, even though I could probably make his pick for him. But we're going to do redo, like I said, the 2014 rookie draft. We're just going to go 12 picks. Um, we're working from an IDP list, so there might be an IDP guy in there. Um, maybe not, but we'll just uh, we'll just go back and forth there. So, uh, Nick... Since you're first, who who do you want there with the 1.01 of 2014? Well, I think there's no question that Odell Beckham has to be the number one pick if we're redoing the 2014 draft. Um, he uh, went seventh uh, in his ADP in uh, 2014, but he's got to be the number one overall pick. Uh, Sammy Watkins was originally the number one overall pick back in 2014. Yep, well, that's... I don't know how far deep we're going to get before we get to Watkins. Maybe maybe a couple more picks, but uh, um, I guess with um, with number two, I'm gonna I'm gonna dig really deep here, and obviously obviously you can flip a coin between him and probably one other person. But a guy, we're just working with a couple different rookie draft ADP here. A guy that went 2.02 and 2.10, believe it or not. Uh, 16th overall rookie back then, uh, and Allen Robinson at number two there, by uh, 1.02. I, I think uh, I think he's certainly well deserving of that uh, second overall selection behind Mr. Odell, don't you think, Nick? Oh, I definitely agree with you. And had you not taken him at number two, I was going to definitely take him at number three. Uh, without a doubt, I would take him as the second best player in the 2014 draft, uh, in fantasy terms anyways. Uh, so for number three, I got to go with Mike Evans. Uh, he hasn't put up the numbers that Allen Robinson has quite yet, but he's still he's he's definitely done enough to show that he is going to be a pretty pretty darn good receiver in this league. Uh, uh, he went uh, number two originally in uh, 2014, and uh, f- funny name here, Bishop Sankey was actually uh, the 1.03 ADP guy in, back in 2014. So definitely got to like Evans a lot more than Sankey, right? Uh, yeah, I don't know if you had not mentioned his name. We probably would have got out of this segment um, <laughs> without mentioning that name. But uh, um, Cody Latimer is also out there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna maybe take a little bit different slide here, and I don't, I don't know if I'm gonna catch you off guard because I think I've made uh, my uh, intentions pretty well known on this player. And there's still a nice slew of wide receivers out there with Sammy Watkins. Uh, Brandon Cooks, Jordan Matthews, Kelvin Benjamin. But I am going to go 
with a guy that I believe that has a better upside than all of those players. And I'm going to go with 1.04. I'm going to take Dante Moncrief. Love the quarterback. Love the fact that he's got a legit wide receiver to work with the T.Y. Hilton on the other side. Um, and I think we've only seen the just the peak of what he is capable of here at the NFL level. So 1.04, give me Dante Moncrief. Did I screw up your draft board, Nick? Well, you, you took Moncrief a little bit higher than I would have. I'm not going to lie there, especially when there's a guy who catches 100 passes every year and Jarvis Landry still on the board. He actually was at the 38th overall pick back in 2012, behind guys like Colt Lyarla, Jason Morrow, and Paul Richardson. Uh, so he was definitely a draft day steal for those that got him back in 2014. Uh, Brandon Cooks was the original number four ADP guy here. So, uh, you know, Cooks has been pretty good, but especially in PPR leagues, Landry has definitely been a notch. Okay, yeah, you dug deep there. Um, so, with 1.06, I, I guess I'll stick with, uh, with the wide receiver thing, and I'm going to go um, with, uh, with Jordan Matthews. I, I think that conversion there is going to be very nice for him and that new offense, and I think he's just going to continue to get better there. So I'll take a, I'll take Jordan Matthews of 1.06. All right. Well, um, at 1.07, this is probably a little bit high, but pretty much in IDP leagues right now, there's one defensive tackle that's head and shoulders above the rest, and that's Aaron Donald. So just because he's so much better than everybody else at the position, I'm going to reach for him a little bit and take him this high. Okay, um, I liked it. IDP before running back. That's uh, that's Nick's new strategy. I love it. Um, um, I was considering Khalil Mack, but I think um, and it's chief. You know, you look at this running back league, this running back class. You know, uh, Devontae Freeman. We already mentioned Sankey, Hyde, Jeremy Hill. Trey Mason's even still in the league. That's just not. It's just not very nice. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a guy. It's not probably the uh, the sexiest pick compared to to guys that flash like Chelvin Smith and Khalil Mack. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go go IDP with you there, Nick. Um, and I'm gonna take C.J. Mosley. Just a guy that's gonna I know that's gonna come in and get it done in the middle. Uh, you know, it's it's weird taking a middle linebacker in the first, but. Uh, I think it's. I think he's well worth it. I think he's proven that he's well worth it. Um, they let Daryl Smith walk this off season, and I think he's he could continue to uh, to grow into that role there. So I'll take. Uh, excuse me, C.J. Mosley at one point zero eight. Johnny Manziel still on the board, Nick. <laughs> Well, I definitely understand the Mosley pick. Um, the, the only reason that I didn't have any linebackers that high was because it's such a deep position usually. But uh, Mosley, definitely a very talented player and worthy of going that high. Um, I think I have got to take the guy who was the number one overall pick uh, back in fantasy drafts in 2014, and that's Sammy Watkins. Uh, you know, I know he's a little bit limited because of where he's playing in Buffalo, but still the talent is there. He's young enough that he could still – uh, maximize his potential at some point down the road. So the upside is too high to pass on Watkins at this point. Yeah, yeah. So we still have that's one point zero nine. We still have uh, the big the big name quarterbacks and uh, Derek Carr and um, 
public portals out there. And while that's tempting, I I just want to say I didn't do a rookie draft this year, but I did a, a dynasty startup. And the one I ended up with one wide receiver out of this illustrious class. So maybe I'm just making up for it here, but at 1.0, excuse me, 1.10, I'm going to take Calvin Benjamin, knowing that I can get as many wide receivers from this class as possible. So I think at my uh, four, five picks, four have been wide receivers, so I definitely try to make up for that. Uh, any wide receivers left worthy there, Nick? What do you think? Well, I mean, Brandon Cooks would be worthy right here, but, you know, so many guys left on the board, the two quarterbacks that you mentioned, Blake Bortles and Derek Carr. Uh, but no running backs have been taken yet. I, I can't pass on Devontae Freeman. I'm not a huge Freeman believer, uh, but, but the value is just too good to pass up on. Okay. Well, I was hoping you would take Cooks. Um, and, and, you know, there's – I know they're just reports, but there's reports – a lot of reports swirling about Freeman – potentially losing touches, you know, not not losing touches, but getting less touches, I guess, however you want to put it, just to keep him fresh for the entire season. So I was hoping he would take Cooks uh, so I didn't have to, but I cannot justify taking my guy Eric Ebron over Cooks, even though I think he's going to step into a great situation here at 1.12 1. there. I'm going to take – that's where we're at, right? That was the last pick of the first round, Brandon Cooks? Correct, yes. Okay, okay. So we'll, we're just doing, like I said, we're just going to do the first round. So we'll end it at that. A lot of wide receivers, just, uh, just one running back. Um, you know, the only other running back I actually really considered was a guy that went uh, way down deep um, at, um, sorry, in, in the thir- 3.10, and that's Charles Sims. We obviously know that he's been able to produce uh, very well. Uh, Carlos Hyde was another guy that, didn't get drafted there. Ebron, we mentioned him, Mason, Devontae Adams, Manziel above Moncrief, that's insane. Uh, Cody Latimer, we've talked about him last week. Bridgewater, Jeremy Hill, Judavian Clowney, Khalil Mack, Paul Richardson, uh, Terrence West, Isaiah Crowell, Jason Morrow, Ryan Chazair, Kadeem Carey. Blake Bortles, Andre Williams, Austin Safarian Jenkins, Martavius Bryant. Um, that's just kind of like the, walking you guys through the first uh, three rounds there. Uh, Chris Kirksey, Demarcus Lawrence, a couple IDP guys mixed in there. Yeah, man, if I got Juice Landry, this first this first mock from May 26, 2014, <laughs> Jarvis Landry at 4.06. That's a uh, that's a hell of a pick there, and there. Derek, uh, Derek Carr way down there in the fourth round, too. That's that's nice. And, where you know, some people are, are worried about him, and especially his late season slide last week. I think you still get pretty pretty decent value there, Nick. So what, what do you think? You think uh, next time we should do 2013, dip back even further? Yeah, yeah, sounds good. This is a lot of fun uh, looking back and seeing, you know, <laughs> some of the silly names that went so high, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. I would say it's scary more than fun. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know what? And I meant to dig up. Maybe I can find it during the podcast. I meant to dig up our the startup draft we did that year. I wanted to see where like a guys like Odell actually went. Um, uh, maybe I can find that here if I search during the podcast. But uh, it is Dynasty Dilemma time. Um, 
we this year week we're doing Jeremy Lankford versus Jay Ajay. Um, we like I said, stole this. We'll talk about it here a little bit. We told, stole this from a question and answer last week, but uh, obviously some new light has been shed on the situation there in Miami, and I think it's my chance to go first. Is that right? Yeah, I, I chose Ajay. So um, let's uh, play the music here so I can breathe. Deal there on the on the podcast uh, clip clip roll there. Now I realize Nick probably thinks that he was he got a gift when the Dolphins signed the 92 year old Arian Foster on Monday. Yes, that Arian Foster, the poster boy for injuries. In fact, since 2012, even Darren McFadden has played in more games. Uh, in fact, 2012 was one of just two years in which Foster has appeared in all 16 games. Over the last three years, he has missed 23 games. Um, oh, and by the way, it's just a one-year deal. Now, Nick offered me an out yesterday morning, giving me the option to switch this dilemma. Hell nope, I said. I, I, I will stick with Ajay. So I, I have basically no confidence that Foster will play in more than 10 to 12 games, much less a full 16-game slate if his soft tissue, is, soft tissue history agrees. Ajay, is, is he's a legit dual threat. And not only is he that, he is – probably the best dual threat between the tackles. I really believe that he's also a between the tackles bruiser and you just don't see guys with that, that, that kind of um, legitimacy at, at this point. I know he is unproven, but I still believe what he can do. Now we still this dilemma, like I said, from our good buddy, Jeff Katz, who writes the question and answer questions every week for the expert Q and a, uh, the foster news broke after the Q and a was released. So obviously there's a little bit more to talk about. This also doesn't change the fact that the bears were also shopping for a running back this off season. And the draft selection of Jordan Howard was indeed made for early down attention. Howard ironically reminds me a lot of a except for the fact that he is somewhat of an underrated pass catcher. Now back to a as a senior at Boise State, he handled 397 touches for 2,358 yards and 32 touchdowns. And remember that knee controversy from last summer? Yeah, he missed two whole games during his college career, both as a freshman. Now, I hear your cries. That was in college. But this is obviously a dynasty dilemma. And Foster, whom, whom everyone is chirping about, will be 30 before the season begins. Now, the other little tiny elephant in the room for Ajay is the third-down slasher back, Keon Drake. Well, maybe he, he may may well be the real short-term loser in the wake of the Foster signing, but he is, he is never going to be a real threat to the RB1. Foster is also a short-term – Foster is basically a short-term thing, plain and simple. Uh, now, back in Chicago, Kerry – no, I'm just kidding um, – Another another ring another ring attached to this dilemma poll is the fact that John Fox hates playing rookies. But when your incumbent averages three point six yards per carry, I don't believe that theory has much merit. The Kevin White thing might also work out, and that will benefit guys like Elshon, uh, Zach Miller, and possibly Daniel Braverman, and subsequently hurt the Bears' running game. 
it may open things up in the middle, in which which is where Howard, not Lankford, will thrive. Now, back in Miami, here's how it's going to go. Despite all the reports of Foster being a complimentary piece, he will find early success, and that will lead to overusage. That will eventually turn into an 8-10 to 10 game absence. Sound familiar, Nick? It's like I'm reading from Arian's personal diary. Like I said before, Ajay is just a straight-up dual threat. Everybody wants to have running back depth, especially when you can have a chance to sign a veteran at this point in time in the offseason. But I think even even if Foster somehow outtouches Ajay this year, this is a dynasty dilemma for the future, and Foster's going to be retired if he's not in in crutches at this point in time uh, next offseason. So, Nick, what are your thoughts? Well, some weeks we pit two great players against each other, two guys that I'd love to have on any of my rosters. This is absolutely not one of those weeks. In fact, I'm not really high on either of these guys, but I do think that Jeremy Langford is in a better position to put up numbers. It just seems obvious to me that the Dolphins don't fully trust Jay Ajay, who only had 49 carries last year. Uh, you don't use a high pick on a running back, Kenyon Drake, in the third round, and sign a guy like Arian Foster, who apparently is fully healthy right now. And if Foster regains his 2014 form when he uh, rushed for 1,200 er, 1, yards, uh, 4.8 yards per carry, uh, you know, he, he, injuries destroyed his 2015 campaign, yes, but injuries strike any player. So, you know, if if Foster is fully healthy, there's not going to be much work left over for JHI. Or even worse, they could keep Foster fresh early on just to unleash him for the playoff push. Then JHI becomes your every week running back starter, and then in the fantasy playoffs, he's not even trustworthy at all. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's, that situation really scares me. Uh, whereas Jeremy Langford's path to playing time in Chicago is much clearer. Yes, he, he must hold off the fifth-round pick Jordan Howard, and Kadeem Carey is still there, but I'm pretty sure Curtis Enos could walk into practice today and beat out Kadeem Carey for a job. Yeah, I'm a little bit better because I really like Kadeem Carey when he came into the league, but still. Uh, Jeremy Langford also had 150 carries last year, so the Bears pretty much know what they have with him. Uh, Langford also can contribute as a pass catcher, as evidenced by his seven catches for 109 yards and a score versus the Rams last year. Uh, again, I- I'm not high on either of these guys, and if neither of them finish the season as a viable RB2, I wouldn't be shocked. But I do feel like Langford has a better chance at uh, strong production. And I also think that you're uh, underselling Arian Foster a little bit. Uh, throw out his 2015 season. Uh, in four of five seasons before that, he rushed for 1,200 yards. Plus, Jay Ajayi has injury risks of his own. Uh, that's the reason he slipped to the fifth round was because of the bone-on-bone issue in his knee. So, you know, he's not, you know, there's questions about his long-term viability as well. So, definitely Langford is the way I would go. I I just don't know how dynasty owners of Foster do it. I just, he's such a tease. I mean, it's like... Michael Vick was like that for so many years. There's just so many things that you can do, but you're just not not ever fully healthy for an extended amount of time. It's just uh, Darren McFadden, Fred Taylor. We've we, he's just that new guy. Um, yeah, it's yeah. Ryan Matthews is that same type of player. There's just so much evident evidence there for uh, for the injury history. So uh, we'll see we'll see how Miami. Uh, uses them. I think Adam Gates knows how to game plan a thing or two. So we'll see how we'll see how they uh use them there. Um, you know, I I suppose we they at the best case scenario I think this could possibly be a be a Geo Bernard Jeremy Hill type of, you know, 
you know, it's essentially close to a 50-50 split as we're going to see. Um, they both can catch the ball, too. So I think they're in a good position where they're not going to be showing their cards depending on who is in the who is in the uh, the backfield there. But I, 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 I think this is this dilemma for me is more more of me believing in Jordan Howard than believe, believing in Jay Ajayi. And I'll, Howard was in Miami. I don't think Foster would have been signed either. So, um, But, yeah, interesting dilemma there. Is it's a, certainly a startup question there for people. I actually had a, a couple of trade offers out there for Ajayi in a few leagues, and I, pulled, I obviously pulled them back after the Aries Foster thing. I mean, obviously I believe in Ajayi. Uh, but uh, you got to you got to be careful when you're when you're trying to do that too, and don't don't overpay for somebody that could potentially be going into a, a bad situation. Now, I thought it'd be fun to take a little bit of a a break and just kind of look back at maybe some some fantasy team names that have made us laugh, or some of our some of our own personal favorites. Um, but uh, Nick, in case you don't know, uh, he actually lives in. Hawaii, the great state of Hawaii right now. So he, a few of his newer orphaned teams have taken on somewhat of a Hawaiian flair. You can, you can care to explain maybe some of the reasons behind those names or what exactly those Hawaiian words mean for us mainlanders, as you call them? Well, yeah, I just, uh, you know, I love the place I'm in, like a lot of people do. So a lot of people uh, choose their team names, you know, at least partially based on uh, on places around them. So, uh, you know, in DFW 16, I'm the Kihei Kikli's. That one's pretty self-explanatory. I live in a town called Kihei, and Luke Kikli's one of my best players, so that just seemed like a natural fit for a name. Uh, in DFW 48, I am a Ho'okipa Honu. Uh, a Honu is actually the Hawaiian word for uh, uh the Hawaiian sea turtle, which is probably the most beloved animal out here. Uh, and Ho'okipa is a, a place, uh, it's a beach where, the big time surfers beach. And if you really want to see big waves, uh, if you're here in the wintertime, great place to see them. And then at uh, DFW 36, I am South Maui Manihune. Uh, the Manihune, uh, they are said to be the first inhabitants of the islands who were later wiped out by the uh, ancestors of those we now know as uh, Hawaiian people. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of legends and rumors about the Manihune. Some say their spirits still inhabit certain parts of the island. And they're mischievous little little ghosts or whatever. But uh, they're also used as uh, mascots for a lot of uh, a lot of companies out here, from maps to water to condo units. So <laughs> that, that's uh, I guess a pretty brief explanation of my team names. <laughs> yeah. Um, well. I don't know why they. I I guess I take a lot of pride in having a good name. Um, not that not that you don't. I just a lot, but I just so I get them from all types of places. I think movies, um, songs. I, I happen to remember when I was in the hospital when my daughter was born in 2007. <laughs> that there's a, a piece of hospital machinery called the lactated ringer, and I thought that was a pretty fun team name there for a while. Um, something I pulled from the cartoon, The Critic. Uh, there's a band called The Pregnant Zombie Nuns. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, another music-related one, The Soap Makers from the band uh, Clutch. Um, you know, and then sometimes I like to play around with other other like professional sports teams' names. Um, uh, I used to have season tickets to the hockey team in Sioux City and. 
one night we got a player from a different team and the team that he came from was called the trail smoke eaters. I thought that was pretty, a pretty awesome name. So I adapted that for a while. Um, uh, another clutch one, Robot Lords of Tokyo. Um, it's just kind of like I said, it's fun to to play to play with different songs and uh, just things that you know, just kind of personalize it yourself. Um, I have one named after one of my favorite restaurants called the Chino Latino Fish Hooks. These are all different sports, by the by the way. Um, the team I've probably had the longest is called the Behemoth Hooligans. I thought it was pretty funny at the time, and I just haven't seen any reason to uh, change it. Um, Mississippi Maracas is one of the team names I've, I use here and there. I don't know exactly know why. I just think those two words sound kind of funny together. Um, I'm just scrolling back through my history here. Um, I, I kind of lost it here with a baseball team called the Juarez Mexicutioners. I thought that was obviously pretty cool at the time, but I uh, I like it. Um, Cole, uh Cuban defectors, you know, baseball is a little bit, there's a lot more terms, I think, in baseball and football, and I'm sure there's more ones in football, too. Uh, the South Dakota trilobite is another one that I used. A trilobite is one of my favorite prehistoric creatures, kind of looks like a cross between a big ant and, like, a horseshoe crab type of thing, so just look it up. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, forgot what else. Juarez Executioners probably has to be, I think, I think the ultimate name that I've ever had. Another baseball, if you strike out four times in a game, it's called the Golden Sombrero. So I've had that for, uh, had that for a few years. Um, yeah, and any other team names? Maybe some, some, some of them that are not your own that stand out to you. Any, any funny ones that you remember? Uh, well, one that is one of my own in DFW and cronies uh, is uh, Rippin and the Terran, spelled with uh, Mark Rippin's <laughs> spelling of his last name, and that's just based off a skit off uh, Tosh.0, and that's as far as I'm going to go there. Um, <laughs> in another league, I was a startup league last year that I actually won that league. I named my team the first-time Peyton Manning owner because it was literally the first time I had ever owned Peyton Manning, and I was kind of excited about getting him in the 12th round. Didn't have to use him, thank goodness, because I drafted him as my third quarterback, and like I said, it worked out well because I won my lead, but I just thought that'd be fun to throw that out there. (laughs) Did you keep Peyton on your roster the whole year? I really, really wanted to, but I needed the roster space, (laughs) so I think it was around week 13 or something like that. I had to cut bait. But didn't change your team name? <laughs> I, I actually did, but then we uh, changed. Uh, we changed the site that the league is on, and uh, the commissioner. Uh, I, I can't remember what I changed my team name to, but the commissioner put the first, the original name in there. So, uh, <laughs> definitely, definitely uh, not a big deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's still fun, and, and I, oh, I, I don't know. I think it's kind of not. I think it's kind of lazy when people just use their name or, I mean, I can understand using your Twitter handle. It helps you. It helps you promote your, yourself, but uh, I don't know. And, and I also think it's maybe a little bit lazy to use the same team name for every league. Maybe it's easy for you to remember, but it's an opportunity for you to be creative. And I've never, <laughs> I've never liked to pass it up. You know, a lot of times when we're getting startups going, it's obviously the time that, um, uh, Game of Thrones starts on TV, and I've, I've borrowed a couple couple terms from there. I have the DFW Unsullied, which is a uh, – it sounds weird when you explain it, but it's basically a, uh, an army of uh, of eunuchs who are basically built to just 
destroy and conquer. Um, <laughs> um, and then, um, oh, the Black Hills White Walkers is another one that's kind of a, a play on where I'm from here in South Dakota. We have half of our state is called the essentially kind of the Black Hills type of area, one one portion of our state. And then the White Walkers is obviously the uh, the zombie creatures there from uh, excuse me from Game of Thrones. So I like I said, I think it's just kind of a uh, kind of fun to play around and I, I i i love the fact that i can make it you know like a regional appeal or even just the name of the city or a state and a mascot like it is in uh you know in real life so i don't know i don't know if this is an interesting conversation for anybody but i thought it was just kind of fun and uh just challenge people to be creative challenge you know make people laugh with your uh with your fancy team name because it's it's your stamp you know it's your it's your uh what if you actually owned a professional team and you had a chance to name them? What would you do? So, uh, like I said, I don't know how interesting that was for people, but I just thought it was a fun, a fun topic to uh, to approach there. So uh, let's get to uh, dynasty uh, trade analysis here, Nick. What do you think about? Um, unless you had any other names that popped into your head. Uh, no, I think that was about all I had for the names. Hmm. Um. Oh, I finally got to use the hyenas this year, too, by the way. I have a team called the Mountain Zion Hyenas, and I don't know where what hyenas have to do with Mountain Zion at all, but uh, Zion is the name of the church that I go to, so I thought I'd, I'd tie that in there with, you know, the, scavenge, the scavenging predator that is the hyena. Um, Rob Gronkowski and John Brown for Keenan Allen, Ladarius Green, and the 2017 first. What do you think there, Nick? Wow, this is a really tough one, I think. Um, I'm going to have to lean towards the side that got Rob Gronkowski and John Brown, even though I, I really love Keenan Allen. I mean, if this guy stays healthy this year, he has a chance to do something really special. Uh, just look at the, his first half of last year before he got injured. He was on pace for just insane numbers. So I, I do love Keenan Allen. Uh, Ladarius Green, I'm a little bit more on the fence on um, probably – partially because I'm a jaded owner that thought he was going to break out a year or two ago. Uh, and then that 2017 first, that's obviously nice too. But I, I still, when you have a chance to get Rob Gronkowski, who when healthy is by far the number one tight end in the league, uh, I, I, I got to go with that side. Yeah, it's it's a hard call. And I think you never want to say goodbye to Gronk, but um, – and we have no idea what Ladarius is going to be. Obviously, they used the tight end there. That's why Heath Miller was successful for all those years. But he's certainly not, uh, uh, you know, a tight end top top five material. Though, sir, I I like the fact that you pick up Keenan Allen, a legit number one, and the first round pick, an extra first round pick next year. But I think I would stick with with the Gronk and Brown side, like you. I think, like you said, there's just too much too much certainty there with. Gronk, and when he's healthy, he is, like you said, by far the number one tight end. Uh, this one I like to label how much is too much uh, for T.Y. Hill. Larry Fitzgerald, 2017 first and a 2017 second. All that for T.Y. Hill. What do you think, Nick? Yeah, like you said, I just think that's too much. Uh, 
you know, with Philip Dorsett and Dante Moncrief, both uh, up and coming, T.Y. Hilton's targets are bound to go down at some point. Um, so, you know, being able to pick up a first and a second, and a guy like Larry Fitzgerald, who's still a viable piece for uh, at least this year, uh, maybe another year or two, he's going to hit the wall pretty soon. But he can at least help you out this year. So I think definitely I would, uh, I would unload T.Y. Hilton, who I do like, but that's just too much value to get in return to not to not trade away T.Y. Hilton. Well, and I don't get why you're trading because you're not rebuilding if you're trading Larry and your first two picks next year, right? I mean, you're obviously you're obviously going for a run, and you're getting obviously a younger wide receiver in T.Y. But um, I, you can't be rebuilding if you're giving up those two early picks there. So, I you know I I do hear what you're saying with with Moncrief and Dorsett too, but. That is it on that team. Besides, they have, they basically have three wide receivers. There's, you know, whoever the fourth and fifth schmuck that makes the roster, <laughs> the fourth and fifth wide receivers, that's, you know, obviously they'll have guys on the roster for that. But after those top three guys, that is really it. So I think I think you'll see a lot of three receiver sets. And I, geez, I think there's a good scenario where all those guys catch 60, 70 balls. I have no idea why I even said that. But I don't, I don't know if that's – I'm sure that's – it's all – certainly possible i think 60 balls for all those guys maybe even 70 i think that's possible because i think they'll all be in the game they could even you know do the um probably still do that with you know with a receiver or excuse me with a tight end two on the field so i think i think it's certainly possible there so um i think they could all three of those guys have good years dorset would certainly be the long shot in that scenario but uh yeah like you said, too much to give up T.Y. And if I, I own T.Y., if somebody wants to give me a veteran wide receiver and their first two picks next year, I'll certainly take that. Uh, Josh Jackson in the 2017 first for Devontae Parker. What do you think there, Nick? Uh, I think that's way too much to give up for Devontae Parker. I mean, Dachson pretty much a pretty much a unanimous uh, top five pick in this year's rookie draft, plus another first-round pick for a guy in Devontae Parker who – we haven't, I mean, he's flashed, definitely, but we haven't really seen solid production for him. For for me to give up basically two first-round picks, I'm going to need a guy that's proven himself more than Devontae Parker has so far. Yeah, and you look, it's not like it's a, a Belichick situation yet there in Miami, but obviously we talked about the signing of Foster earlier. They brought in another rookie wide receiver in Leonte Crew. Um, they got a, they got a couple, uh, you know, tight end in Jordan Cameron. Yeah, Jordan Cameron um, and uh, Thomas. They also brought in Thomas Duarte too, another move tight end, pass catcher type of player. So, I think Adam Gaze wants as many offenses weapons as possible, and I just don't. I'm not exactly sure how that's going to translate for those players fantasy wise. Um, I know we've seen Landry catch 100 balls yearly, but I just I just worry about that that team's fantasy value as a whole in in terms of just just so much uncertainty, especially with the no excuse me with the new coaching staff. I think he could be in a in a different situation there. What I do like about Parker is I think he's a, t- a touchdown upside type of player. Um, I don't know if I would give up a guy that I took in the first five picks and a 2017 pick for him. Um, at, at, at this point, but you know we could look down, look at this pick 
or this, excuse me, to trade a couple of years from now, and it could be an absolute steal. I hope it's not because Josh Doxton was an absolute bust in Nick's case, but I, um, it's just when you're when you're going young wide receiver like this, you just it's very easy to end up on the wrong side of the wrong side of a deal. Can you imagine, like we talked about earlier, if there was like a Marquise Lee for Odell Beckham type of things during the off season, somebody got this weird hair up their butt for about something like that. But uh, you never know. This this could be a, a mutually beneficial deal uh, for for both sides too. So, but I, I'll, I'll, I'll lean Doxon in two thousand seven. Well, now this one, next one is from a two quarterback league, um, and still seems like a bit of an overpay. But Drew Brees and pick one point zero two for Lamar Miller. What do you think? Well, I'm a long term Lamar Miller fan. I, I do think that he is a good running back. But he, even if you just gave me the one point zero two pick for Lamar Miller, I would take that in a heartbeat in a dynasty league. You know, the running backs' careers are so short. He's already been in the league a handful of years, so he probably his window is pretty small. So getting that one point zero two pick for him, great. And then Drew Brees on top of that, that's just gravy. So definitely would side with the, the player, the, the team that gave away Lamar Miller. Yeah, and this is a, a two-quarterback league, like I said, too. And Now, I've never done a rookie draft in a two-quarterback league. You know, we are 16-team one, obviously, is a little bit uh, a little bit close. I've done, I've done the super flex thing where, you know, you get a quarterback you can use in your flex, too. I've done the super flex uh, uh, redraft thing there with the Scott Fishbowl. But I, I, I would imagine – in terms of a rookie draft, even in a two-quarterback league, I don't think anybody's taking Jared Goff over Ezekiel Elliott. I probably should have researched this before I started blabbing, but uh, I don't think anybody's taking a quarterback over over the top pick. And I, I wouldn't be surprised. And maybe you guys can uh, out there can hit me up on uh, Twitter and and shut me up on this matter. But I wouldn't be surprised if you know, like we talked about with the, with the big four, or maybe the big five, including like a Derrick Henry or kind of Dixon up the quarterback. So don't go until that point. I would think in a two quarterback league, they're probably generally around 12 teams. So everybody's probably got a couple, but getting a guy like Goff, who's probably entrenched as a starter this year, is not a bad idea, but I just don't think people are, I don't think people would be pulling the trigger until maybe after those top five picks. Don't you think Nick, unless you're super, super desperate. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, and, you know, like you said, I haven't done the research on the two quarterback league rookie drafts this year. But, yeah, I, I definitely would not see anybody going above Ezekiel Elliott in pretty much any format. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now, so I, I guess I would take this, the side that Nick said, too. Like I said, I, I pretty much agree with him, too, on the 1.02 for uh, Lamar Miller there. Now, this next pick was not uh, <laughs> met well with some of the some of the brass here, but um, this next trade here: Mike Evans and Tyler Boyd for Jarvis Landry and Jeremy Macklin. A lot of Mike Evans fans here on staff. Alan Satterley said that these picks, these light Mike Evans deals, are going to come back to haunt them here very soon. So, what what do you think? Is that uh, too light there for Mike Evans? Uh, I'll say I don't I don't. 
uh, dislike the trade as much as some of the brass on um, staff at DFW, but but I definitely side with the uh, the Mike uh, the team that picked up Mike Evans and Tyler Boyd. Uh, Jeremy Macklin, he's going to be forever hamstrung by the fact that he plays with Alex Smith as his quarterback there in Kansas City. Uh, you already mentioned Jarvis Landry now with uh, Adam Gase as the offensive coordinator. We don't really know what's in store for the uh, Miami pass catchers there. And Mike Evans, yeah, has such huge upside there in Tampa Bay, especially with uh, the young and up-and-coming quarterback to, to, that's paired with him there uh, in James Swinston. And, you know, Tyler Boyd, you know, we don't know for sure, but he definitely has a lot, uh, really good chance to be successful there in Cincinnati. So, yeah, definitely side with the team that picked up Mike Evans and Tyler Boyd, just not as strongly as some of the others on staff. Yeah, and me too. And one thing about Jarvis Landry, and I talked about this earlier, there's a lot of Miami guys in, this, in these trades this week. Um, both Jarvis and Jeremy Macklin are going to new offensive systems. While whether, you know, there, I would. I don't think anybody's trading Tyler Boyd and getting Jeremy Macklin in return. Um, I still think that's that's something to note, and there could certainly be a learning curve. And Mike Evans is, you know, younger than both of those guys too. I know him and Landry came out the same year, but uh, uh, yeah, just it's a, it's a hard call there. Um, but I, you got you got to stick with. My, I think Mike Evans and Tyler Boyd. I think you're going to get um, some good things. Um, uh, Tyler Boyd this year and even better things down and in the future playing alongside AJ Green and Mike Evans certainly has potential. I I don't think that he's going to be this, you know, just revolutionary record breaking player, but I think he's gonna be a very solid wide receiver one. A guy that we'll be talking about, you know, with a first round ADP and a lot of startups, probably end of the first round ADP and a lot of startups here for the next handful of years. So um yeah. Not not a bad one there, and I, I'm not fully in in the Mike Evans train, but like Nick said, with with Winston in, in the fold there too, uh, he's probably in the best uh, the best quarterback situation there too, unless you want to pit Andy Dalton against Jameis Winston in the next week's dilemma. That would be kind of fun, Nick. But uh, we um, see how I did that. See how I segued. That was pretty nice. Uh, um, I, I had a theory about dilemmas. Maybe I'll talk to this. Next week, I thought I thought it might be fun to do uh, Jameis Winston versus like a handful of people over the next few weeks. We can go back and forth taking Winston, but we'll talk about it later. Um, bold prediction time, Nick. Uh, I think I, I think you went first last week, so I can go first this week as I continue my uh, continue my off season tirade versus <laughs> Vaughn Miller. Um, I think Vaughn Miller is going to have just seven sacks in 2013. So 70 million guaranteed. That's 10 million per sack. Not, not, not a bad average for him. Not necessarily great for Denver. Now I know every offensive coordinator already had a game plan against him this year. And, and for the last couple of years, but don't you think there's going to be a high, a, a very high volume of preparation time taken towards stopping this guy even more so now um he's guys like him or and Khalil Mack are going to change what type of athlete is playing right tackle on the offensive side of the ball so I think just that being all flowed into there you're going to see a tight end on that side you're going to see a fullback 
you know, a split back situation where somebody's somebody's blocking Miller and somebody is also there to chip him in case he gets by that initial blocker. Don't you think? Or am I am I am I overthinking that? What do you think? Yeah, I, I think seven is a pretty bold number. I think he would probably have to suffer some sort of injury to be held to seven sacks this year. Um, you know, maybe 10, 11, I think that might be a more realistic uh, low target for Von Miller if he stays healthy, of course. Um, I mean, we we saw that guy do things we just haven't seen pass rushers do in a long time in the playoffs last year. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm definitely a Von Miller believer and, and happy for him that he got stayed the way he deserved to after basically single-handedly winning Denver a Super Bowl. Yeah. Well, and like Ross Tucker talked about last week on the show, Von Miller was able to get so low in the playoffs as a pass rusher, and I think that's ultimately what made him successful. And maybe – Maybe NFL teams are going to change their philosophy. Maybe you don't need a six-five to six-eight tackle. You know, you know these huge bookend guys. Maybe you need more of a, you know, a six-three straight up three hundred pound guy instead of like a three hundred twenty, three hundred thirty pound uh, guy that you can't move around. So maybe maybe he'll change that. What do you got for me, bold prediction wise? Well, for the first one, I think Houston realizes pretty quickly that Brock Osweiler is not worth the money they gave him, and they're going to try again either in next year's draft or the year after. Uh, They really can't release Osweiler until after the 2017 season due to salary cap issues and the cap hits it would take. Uh, But, yeah, I I just – I, I don't think Brock Osweiler is uh, worth the anywhere near the amount of money that Houston gave him. So they will be looking again to solve their quarterback situation. Okay. Um, Brock Osweiler, not the answer in Houston. Um, I think they've surrounded him with enough weapons to, to where he can maybe fake it for a couple of years. So um, I don't really like to wish – Ex Broncos well, but I think I think he may might might be all right. I think he might be wrong, so we'll see. Um, Nate, excuse me. Um, take, <laughs> I've taken the drinking club soda during the podcast to clear my throat, and it unfortunately tries and makes me burp as well. So uh, I guess I'll take something else for that. Getting old sucks, but anyway, Nate Washington. That's right, Nate Washington will lead all New England wide receivers in receiving touchdowns. Now, I said wide receivers, so this doesn't include Gronk or Martellus. But Nate Washington will lead all New England wide receivers in receiving touchdowns. What do you think there, Nate? I, I could definitely see that happening. Uh, he has better size. Uh, he, he, yeah, I mean, the, the wide receivers in New England are all fairly small, so – you know, like you said, you didn't. You, you made sure to say wide receiver. Uh, so the two tight ends are probably going to lead the team in in touchdowns. But yeah, Nate Washington has a, as good of a shot as any of those wide receivers to uh, to to score. You know, to, to find the end zone. Uh, I you know, especially considering Amendola can't stay healthy. Uh, Julian Edelman, he's. Not really a typical, prototypical red zone, red zone guy. So, yeah, I think that's a, a decent prediction. Yeah, and Edelman the guy, isn't a guy who ever jumps off the mat touchdown-wise, and I think that's that's ultimately why his ADP is certainly where it's at. It's reflective of that because he just doesn't score a whole lot of touchdowns there. So Washington is, is a veteran guy who I think um, they could come in and use 
uh, you know, in those type of situations. He's not six foot five or anything, but I think uh, certainly a guy that they, they can they can be uh, useful and, and a veteran presence that they, they need there. And we, we we've seen veterans come there and prosper, like uh, obviously Randy Moss. Brandon LaFell had his best year ever in that offense. So I, I think just the fact that he's a slightly bit bigger. And, you know, I could be wrong. I could be completely, completely wrong, and in three weeks he could be not even be on the New England Patriots roster. We saw that with Reggie Wayne last year. But uh, I think uh, I think they'll realize what they have in him, and he could potentially be a nice part of that offense. Uh, you're up next there, Nick. What do you got? I'm going to say the Chicago Bears make the playoffs. Uh, John Fox just seems to have some sort of magic that he works in year two with his teams. Uh, I'm not sure what it is, but he's able to turn these teams around. Plus, Jay Cutler is coming off his uh, pretty decent year last year. I know they lost the offensive coordinator, Adam Gase, but I, I, I just I got a feeling the Bears are going to make the playoffs. Call me crazy, if you will. I suppose, and I suppose that goes along the same lines as uh, – Detroit having a top five pick from your last weeks. Um, I don't know about that, man. Minnesota and Green Bay are so, so tough. And where Green Bay doesn't jump off the page as being crazy scary, I think they have they have depth there, and that, that could ultimately hurt uh, hurt the Bears' chances. I, I like it, though, and it's certainly, uh, certainly bold. Um Cameron Artis Payne will lead the Panthers in rushing yards. What do you think? Obviously, I'm hoping for uh, a, a J. Stew injury there. What do you think? Um, I would not have been surprised if he had done that last year. I, I think it's crazy how healthy Jonathan Stewart was able to stay last year. Great to see. Yeah, I mean, you never wish injuries upon someone, but he just had such a checkered past with injuries that you just kind of figured he wouldn't be able to hold up for a whole season. So great that he did hold up for most of the year, uh, but it's tough to see that being the case two years in a row, especially at his advanced age. So, yeah, I could definitely see uh, Cameron Artis Payne leading the Panthers in rushing. Okay. Have we, you think with Payne, and maybe there's only just a couple guys with Payne and and Mason, but maybe you know, maybe the whole Auburn rushing attack, their reputation is kind of on the line with Payne since Mason didn't uh, ultimately work out there. Um, and we'll see, you know, with uh, Peyton Barber too, if he if he gets a, a job somewhere eventually. I think he's still essentially in the Buccaneers camp. But uh, last prediction there for you, Nick. What yeah. Well, at least one preseason magazine that I've seen, Athlon Sports, has a Dallas winning the NFC East. So maybe it's not a bold prediction to say that a 4-12 and team won't make the playoffs the next year, but come on, the Ezekiel Elliott hype is just way, way too much. I mean, if a stud running back made that much difference, the Vikings would have been Super Bowl contenders for the last decade with Adrian Peterson, right? So, I, you know, it might not be that bold, but Dallas is not making the playoffs. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and that helps me out from uh, last week saying that the Giants will win the NFC East. Um, I was really thinking that you were going to go Washington's going to make the playoffs this year, but uh, not that confident just yet. 
Well, they made the playoffs last year, so that wouldn't really be a bold prediction. Prediction. Oh, I guess with, <laughs> with Washington's history, it probably would be an extremely bold <laughs> prediction. But on most cases, predicting a playoff team to go back wouldn't be a bold, that bold. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, it's time for plant your flag or wash your hands, dot, 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 if you have the roster space. Um, it's almost become a little song that I've sung in my head now. Um C.J. Spiller, is that guy still around? What do, you, what do you think, Nick? There's a little bit of Daniel Laskow love. Uh, what do you think? I think I'm washing my hands on C.J. Spiller. He hasn't been able to stay healthy for years, and even if he does, New Orleans has Mark Ingram, Tim Hightower, Traveris Cadet. They're all fighting for snaps. I, I just don't think there's enough work left over for C.J. Spiller at this point in his career. No, this is and this is obviously dynasty related. So I think potentially Scott Fishbowl redraft as he's sitting around there at the end of that draft. Certainly, certainly go and grab him. And and I don't I don't mean to dispel what Nick said there because I, I I certainly agree. Um, with Daniel Aska though, people are over super over hyping him because what he did at the combine. The flip of that was. Jarvis Landry having a not a very good combine and falling into the fourth round of rookie drafts. Um, now, Alaska is all of a sudden getting all this love. For me, it didn't translate on the field. And, and I like when I watch film and I watch, I watch a lot of it, thanks to my guys over at Draft Breakdown, I want to see that type of skill set on the field. And, I, I hadn't seen that there with Lasko. I don't know if he was hurt in the games that I was watching or wasn't 100% healthy, but I just didn't see that. Now, Paul Perkins is a guy that I thought splashed really well on the field, and I was a little surprised by his combine numbers. So uh, I guess you could take that what what you will, but uh, don't get too crazy, I think, on, on the Daniel Lasko front. I know he went undrafted in a handful of rookie drafts that I've seen, so don't just uh, don't get too crazy, and you can cut C.J. Spiller there, too. Um, what do you think about uh, your guy in Washington, D'Angelo Halnick? He's making that move to free safety. Um, is that is that going to save his career here for a handful more years? What do you think? Well, Hall's a player I really like in real life, but in fantasy terms, I'm going to wash my hands. He's, he's pretty much a not-so-physical cornerback, and now he's moving to safety, uh, where the Skins haven't had a good player since Sean Taylor was murdered. But, you know, D'Angelo Hall is another older, injury-prone player. I think the defensive back position is deep enough that you can find a younger, uh, better, more reliable option than D'Angelo Hall. Uh, yeah, and like you said, that the key thing there is he's not necessarily a physical corner, and I worry about that translation. And I think, I think he's basically going to be in a single high safety role there, and probably, probably not going to be out there on uh, rushing downs. I'm sure we're looking probably like a a fifty percent snap limp uh, type of situation for him. So fifty percent of the snaps. So, yeah, I think it's pretty safe to to wash your hands there, too. Um, a great, like I said, great veteran, veteran player and a great leader to have out there on the field, but that's not going to translate IDP-wise, unfortunately. Uh, Andre Ellington, Nick, what do you think? 
Well, I like him as a David slash Chris Johnson handcuff, but not much else, really. Uh, if everybody's healthy, he's going to be lucky to get 25% of the snaps, I would guess. You know, And at 5'9", 199 pounds, he's not really a goal linebacker. So pretty much if you're starting him, he's a big player. Uh, he's a big play or nothing. So, yeah, I, I just don't see much use for him other than as a handcuff. Yeah, he's he's basically handcuffed. If you know late, late in startups or even uh, seasonal formats, he's not a bad guy to add. Like Nick said, if you if you own Chris or David Johnson, but uh, uh yeah, his his stock certainly has fallen. I I just don't know if he's the kind of guy that can go somewhere else and learn a, a new system in time to, to kind of resurrect his career. I, I just don't, I don't, I don't know. I just, it, it seems weird because he is so young, but he's already had the, the injury prone thing on his resume. So that's, that's pretty safe to uh, wash your hands there, Mr. Aliens. And what do you think of Kenny Bell? No, we didn't see anything from Kenny Bell last year. Uh, everybody knows him as that prospect with the big Afro though. And it's a nice afro, but what do you think? Because we're we going to see that afro do anything special this year. Well, it is a very nice afro. I will agree with you on that. Uh, like you said, he missed uh, 2015 with a hamstring injury. Um, you know, there's been conflicting reports coming out of uh, OTAs. You know, reportedly he looked really good in OTAs, and then now more recently they said he slipped down the depth chart. Uh, you know, I wonder if that's like a, a motivational tactic, uh, sliding him down from the wide receiver three to the roster level. I, I, I think if I've held on to him this long, I'm not going to wash my hands quite yet. Um, yeah, I picked him up last year after somebody dropped him, and then I dropped him so I could hold on to Oa Digazua for some reason. And he was immediately picked up, like a second later. So people obviously still uh, still love this guy. Um, Vincent Jackson's still there. Um, what did what did their other wide receiver <laughs> Lewis? Or wait, no. Okay, Lewis Murphy was arrested in 2011 for something to do with Viagra possession. But I thought he was. Am I thinking of somebody else? I thought somebody. I thought Lewis Murphy was also arrested for like breaking into the zoo or something like that. I don't know. Maybe I'm way off on that. But <laughs> um, yeah, there's. I don't think there's a whole lot behind uh, those two players there. Uh, with obviously Evans and uh, and Vincent Jackson, so I think I think Bell could be a, a very good player in the slot. I don't know if he's the quick twitch type of athlete that uh, um, that you want in the slot, but uh, if he if he's physical enough uh, to to do some things, and I think coming from that Nebraska system, as much as I, I'm not necessarily a Cornhusker fan, I think that uh, that system does produce uh, wide receivers that that are able to be a little bit more physical and block. I think I think he'll certainly be in single cover situations with Evans and Vincent Jackson. So uh, I, I think he could certainly break through it. He's a player to hold on to if, if you've been holding on to him this long. And it's, it's really hard to cut those second-year wide receivers because, you know, there's certainly a breakout. I don't think he's going to break out. But, uh, you know, he could possibly move himself into that wide receiver two for his team next year there. So what do you think about uh, uh, Calvin Pryor, a guy, a guy I really love, and maybe maybe that was not warranted. What do you think? 
Uh, well, first, I just want to touch on the Lewis Murphy incident. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he uh, was at a friend's wedding that was at a museum and then fell asleep uh, at some point during the uh, the procedure and then broke the glass in order to call the phone and alert authorities that he was there. He did not get arrested. The authorities said he did nothing oh. wrong, seeing as he has the means to pay for the, the window that he broke or whatever whatever took place. So, so, so he did not actually get arrested during that incident. All but, right. Uh, Sorry, moving, Lewis. You're moving, off the hook. <laughs> <laughs> moving on to Calvin Pryor, though. I mean, this is definitely a guy I'm playing my flag. Uh, you know, it's not easy as a rookie to be asked to play a foreign position the way that Pryor was asked to play free safety as a rookie. But, you know, he was a strong safety last year in year two. His numbers were better. His tackles, interceptions, passes, defense, they, they all went up even though he played three less games. Uh, I think year three, which is going to be his second year at strong safety, should be even better. Definitely a plant your flag guy. Oh, good. Thanks for, thanks for the vindication. You know, he's he's a guy that I keep seeing – way available in startups and I know there's a lot of safeties out there in the pool but just enough like I always like to say just enough experience to be dangerous and with with that great front that's only going to make their secondary better so I, I really I really like Pryor and I think I think he's going to continue to grow and to be in one of the one of those top type of players and I I I don't think I'm the only person that loves him but uh, I, I could be wrong I have to, so uh, he he's a guy that you wanna you certainly want to plant your flag into the cement. Um, Andrew Hawkins. Now they what I know Cleveland drafted like twenty pass catchers, but uh, is there still room for Andrew Hawkins on this roster, Nick? Well, you look at Andrew Hawkins, five foot seven, hundred eighty pounds. Uh, twice in his five years, he's missed half the season with injuries, including last year. Uh, he's only had one career, one hundred yard game in his five years. Uh, you mentioned they drafted, I think, four wide receivers in the draft this year. I, I, I just think the ceiling is too low for Andrew Hawkins for me to to uh, to keep him. So I'm going to wash my hands. Yep, and and he's another guy. If he's sitting around there at the end of a startup and you just want wide receiver depth and you have Richard Higgins or even Coleman, I don't think he's a bad player to add. Um, but we'll we'll see how that uh, that all works out. Now he he you know for all intents and purposes was their number one wide receiver at certain <clears throat> points when he was healthy last year. So I I know certain people in Cleveland think think highly of him, but uh, we just haven't seen uh, that translate into some big production type of years there. So uh, we need to see a year of it, and it might might be too late as they're bringing in a whole slew of new talent there. So it's probably pretty safe to cut ties with him. Uh, look at the other safety there in the for the Jets and Markets crash. Now, free safeties typically aren't as attractive as strong safeties IDP-wise, but Gilchrist does all right, don't you think, Nick? Uh, he does, and he was a good fit after uh, signing with the Jets last year. Pro Football Focus uh, ranked him 19th overall safety in the league, uh, and that was his first year with the Jets. He had a career-high 82 tackles, and I, I think, you know, with another year in the system, he could easily top that this year. So, uh, uh, Gilchrist, uh, I'm going to plant my flag with both uh, New York Jets safeties. Yeah, they're they're both in good hands, and like I said, there's only probably a handful of free safeties that are, I believe, or are IDP roster worthy. Obviously, um, 
Harrison Smith is a, is a little bit of a different animal, but he is technically a free safety. Earl Thomas is another guy, and um, Rodney McLeod, the new free safety in Philadelphia, is certainly a free safety you want to you want to you want on your roster. And I'm gonna I have a, another IDP article coming out this week about uh, IDP price check on some of the guys there in the NFC East. So make sure you check that out. As I'll obviously address. Uh, Mr. McLeod, hence uh, hence my segue there. Um, Alfred Blue, have we seen the last of Alfred Blue in Houston? What do you think, Nick? Uh, I think I'm going to tentatively uh, plant my flag. Uh, Lamar Miller never has had the heaviest of workloads in Miami. Uh, it's possible that he could break down now if he's used uh, full-time in Houston. Uh, the, the, the only caveat, caveat there is definitely monitor the competition and training camp between Alfred Blue and the rookie Tyler Irvin. Uh, Irvin could easily win the number running back number two job, but sometimes we've seen rookies that you know struggle with pass blocking and other aspects of the game, so it takes them a year or two to actually get on the field. So if that were the case with uh, Tyler Irvin, then Alfred Blue could possibly be in, in line for a decent workload this year. Yeah, I I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what they get out of him. I think. I think. I just don't know how much how much they have. They're sold on Blue. I think he's just basically there because he he knows the system. I think he's more of an emergency option. So I think if you need the roster space, he's probably the safe guy to cut. But uh, uh, we'll see. I, I I just don't have a whole lot of confidence there in Blue. So I, I would probably feel pretty safe washing my hands. Um, I'm going to try to say this next name, and I'm sure it's not going to be right, but I'll give it a shot anyway. San Diego Safety. Uh, Jalali Adai, I, I think is maybe how it's pronounced, or Adai. Um, he's not replacing Eric Waddell position-wise, um, who's another decent free safety out there. But I think um, I think some people are expecting the production to kind of flow his way. What do you think they're next? Well, I think with uh, Eric Weddle gone, I think a die's worth a flyer, definitely. Uh, San Diego used a second-round tender on the restricted free agent this offseason, so it would seem that the team sees him as a starter. Plus, his tackle numbers have gone up every year. So, you know, that that's that, that's a good trend. Uh, so I think he's definitely worth a flyer at the bottom of your roster. Yeah, and he – I think he was – Ganged up for a little bit last year. I, I maybe expected a little bit more out of him last year. And in case you're keeping score at home, I'm generally a year early on a lot of players. So if I liked him last year, look out. Uh, um, James Stark, basically your RB2 in Green Bay. Eddie Lacy in a contract year. Uh, don't sell my boy out of North Dakota State, John Crockett, any short though. Nick, what do you think? James Starks. I think James Starks should be rostered in 100% of leagues. Uh, you know, if the slim down Eddie Lacy stays healthy, he's going to be the lead back and have a great year, yes. But physical backs like Lacy tend to get hurt sometimes. And I think, you know, if Lacy did get hurt, James Starks would be a must start if he were to actually be the starting running back in games for Green Bay. Uh, no question, he's a playing flat guy. Yeah, I just worry about as he gets up there in years, what what exactly he he's going to have left if he get if he does, 
you know, have to fill that position. Obviously, if you have Lacey, you you need to you need to get Starks on your roster, or you know, if he's available, you're you're grabbing for him. Um, but uh, I'm just not totally uh, totally sold on him. So I, I I would you know if you need the roster space and you don't have Lacey, <laughs> uh, maybe that's a situation where you can consider cutting him. But uh, uh, yeah. I think that's a fair a fair guesstimate there, Nick. Uh, what? Where were we? I think I found our startup draft from 2014. Uh, um, uh, Devin Taylor, defensive end, Detroit Lions. Well, the the arrow seems to be pointing up for Devin Taylor. Uh, defensive linemen tend to take time to to develop, and in year three, Taylor uh, had 35 tackles and seven sacks after only three and a half sacks combined the first two years. Uh, now he's expected to start in year four. I think this is definitely a guy that I would uh, plant my flag with. Okay. Um... Oh sweet! I didn't find it. We'll, we're going to have to come back to this. Uh, <laughs> um, I'll just break it down for you. Uh, yeah, I I think he's a guy playing opposite Ziggy Anza. Certainly a, a, a guy worthy. Now it's hard because defensive end. I think in least of the, the leagues that I play in, I think it's a pretty deep position. And so you know, there's you know a handful of guys out there that you could start above him every week, but. Uh, uh, he's not a bad a bad guy to to keep on your roster because I think he's still is still getting better. Um, wide receiver four, big question mark in Miami. Maybe Kenny Stills there. Nick, what do you think? Well, I personally can't cut him, but I I did try like heck to trade him. Uh, he's a big play guy. Uh, Sixteen point three yards per catch last year. Maybe in year two he improves his chemistry with Ryan Tannehill. Uh, he's really he truly is an on the fence type of guy. I think you, you trade him away if you can get any value in return, or you know if you can get him for super cheap and you're desperate for a wide receiver. I think I would go for it. He, he's really one of those. It just depends on your team type of guy. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I'm, I, uh, <laughs> uh, Leonte Carew is is there for to take him to take his job away. So I, I got I got no problem going going after him there. So I, I think that's a pretty safe pretty safe move to to let him go there. Um, last one now. Let me before I say this name, who who's the running back to in San Francisco? Do we know? Do you think? Do you have any guesses? I would guess it's the guy we're about to talk about, but uh, you know <laughs> anything could change. Chip Kelly seems to be, uh, you know, thinking two steps ahead of everybody else, at least in his own mind. So, okay, well, it's Shane Drow, I think is how you say that last name. I feel like this guy's been in the league forever, and I know maybe I'm getting confused with Ruben Jones, but I, I, I just don't see any scenario to where he's a. He's a handcuff, but I, we, are you really going to roll him out there? Uh, I, I'd like to put my chips in Kelvin Taylor's basket, even though I own too many shares of Mike Davis. So I, I'm going to cut Drew just because I just don't see future, and, and I, I need the roster spot so I can go pick up Kelvin Taylor. <laughs> what do you think? 
Uh, I definitely wouldn't fault you for cutting a drone, um, yeah, and especially long-term. He doesn't have much viability, but I think in the short term, if you're in a PPR league, he's possibly a guy that you'd plant flag in. Uh, 27 uh, receptions last year in 11 games. Uh, Chip Kelly always uses multiple running backs in his scheme. So, you know, not, like I said, not a long-term guy, 28 years old, but he could possibly be a decent PPR piece this year. And just as thin as the running back position is in general, I think in a lot of PPR leagues, he's worth a roster spot. Okay. Um, well, let's, before we get to the best number 43, let's just take a look back at our startup draft here. Um, I can filter by wide receivers. So the first rookie wide receiver was Sammy Watkins, taken by our buddy V, who is, oh, an insane Buffalo Bills fan. So I, I remember it about this time now, thinking that was kind of early. Uh, but uh, that was pick 2.06 in a startup. Um, so just putting you, putting you where you're at there, Calvin Johnson, A.J. Green, Des Bryant, Demarius Thomas, Julio Jones, Elshon Jeffrey, Brandon Marshall, and then Sammy Watkins, Antonio Brown, Keenan Allen, and then Mike Evans, 3.04, Cordero Patterson, 3.05, not not a rookie that year, but uh, fun to see that name out there, Brandon Cooks, 5.04. My main goal in finding this is where I could see, I took Marquise Lee in the 11th, and I wanted to see where Odell Beckham went, and I not exactly finding it. Calvin Benjamin, 7.05. Pretty crazy to see uh, Wes Welker at 6.06. I I feel I'm fearing I'm going to... DeAndre Hopkins at 7.01. I'm feeling I'm going to crush any any confidence people had in me and Odell was going to be drafted after. Dante Moncrief, 3.04. So I took Marquise Lee above Moncrief. <laughs> My comment in choosing targets at 11.08. Um, yeah, Odell Beckham, 14.03. Wow. Followed by another rookie, Devontae Adams, followed by Juice Landry in 14.09. So... Holy crap. I have lived and learned. If you're going to not trust my knowledge from here on out, I understand. Uh, but I think I have lived and learned from that mistake. And, um, well, I also took Jimmy Graham in the first. So I've had a lot of early picks in this in this startup there. So uh, it's interesting to take note. Um, to, further, to further damage my uh, case, I know I took Bishop Sankey way too. Uh, yeah, 4.05. I'm very excited to get him. Um, followed up shortly after that by Andre Ellington with my uh, youth movement there at running back. Carlos Hyde, excuse me, 7.11. Um, so, yeah, and Devontae Freeman, 8.09. So just a Trey Mason, 8.11 by Nick there. So. Uh, there is a there's a punch <laughs> in your gut there, Nick. But hey, I got at least helped me for one year. I got the battery and ran Jeremy Hill nine point zero eight there. So, uh, oh, 
wow, how me and Nick weren't as well versed in the dynasty uh, community as we are now. But yeah, wow, Marquise Lee above Odell Beckham, two rounds, no doubt, Nick. And that was the only rookie wide receiver I got from that to uh, illustrious class there. So oof, that's a that is a rough look back. But like I said, you only become better if you uh, if you live and learn. And I <laughs> I lived and learned. I certainly, uh, and if that's why people hate UFC wide receivers, that's totally fine by me. Um, what do you got for best? Uh, any, any other thoughts there on that matter? That was kind of scary. Well, well, the one thing on Odell Beckham to remember is that he was injured uh, going into training camp, missed all of training camp, I believe, and uh, the first handful of games in, in his rookie season. So people were scared off because of that injury. That's probably the biggest reason why he slipped so far. And, you know, another reason maybe why I go so youth-heavy, especially maybe to a fault in some mocks and some startups, is because I went with the uh, the quarterback tandem of Sam Bradford and Joe Flacco in that in that league. And Nick, Nick as I've talked about it many times, hit the jackpot getting Derek Bortles. So, uh, yeah, I took Sam Bradford instead of Derek Carr. I'm a Raider fan. What the hell am I thinking? But anyway. What do you got for us on best number 43? Well, it's a pretty short list today. There's actually no Hall of Famers uh, currently that wore the number 43. And I could have fluffed it up by adding a few kick returners and pullbacks and long snappers that went to a Pro Bowl or two. But instead, I decided to keep it short and sweet, just like Darren Sproles, who listed at 5'6 and 181 pounds. Uh, Sproles finally went to the Pro Bowl the last two years, but he's been a great and very unique offensive weapon for years with San Diego, New Orleans, and Philadelphia. Uh, 20, uh, 2,800 yards and 20 touchdowns rushing, uh, averaging five you know, yards per carry over his career, plus another 4,100 yards and 28 touchdowns receiving, uh, and another nine touchdowns in the return game. Uh, it's just always nice to see someone succeed who doesn't fit the mold of an NFL player. Uh, Larry Brown began his career with four straight pro, pro Bowls for, as a running back for Washington starting in 1969. Uh, Brown led the league in rushing in 1970 and was also used a lot out of the backfield, catching 238 passes and scoring 20 receiving touchdowns over his eight-year career. Uh, from Philadelphia to Washington, now we go to Dallas in this NFC East heavy edition of our Best uh, to Wear the Numbers series. Uh, Don Perkins was a halfback and fullback in Dallas from 1961 through 1968 and went to six Pro Bowls, uh, two as a halfback and four as a fullback. Perkins was a top ten rusher in the NFL in every single season he played and was the uh, Dallas Cowboys' first ever All-Pro and is still third in rushing touchdowns on Dallas's all-time list. Cliff Harris was a free safety and part-time return man for, for Dallas from 1970 through 1979. Harris closed out his career with six straight Pro Bowls. He won two Super Bowls and was such a ferocious hitter that Washington head coach George Allen called him, quote-unquote, a rolling ball of butcher knives. Harris and Charlie Waters was one of the best pair of safeties in the NFL in the 1970s. Now, for our top number 43, we finally leave the NFC East for the AFC North and former Steelers great Troy Polamalu, a seven-time Pro Bowler, two-time Super Bowl winner uh, from 2003 to 
2014 was truly a leader of some very good Pittsburgh defenses. Uh, he had two seasons with seven interceptions. That's that's not very often a strong safety puts up those type of interception numbers. You know, of course, in my eyes, Paul Amalo is a surefire Hall of Famer. But for some reason, the Hall of Fame seems to have a bias against safeties. Uh, just look at Steve Atwater, who we've mentioned on the podcast numerous times before. Uh, he also won two Super Bowls and went to eight Pro Bowls, one more than Paul Amalo. It's going to be very interesting to see when and if both those guys get in and which order they go in, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, oh, Atwater should be there. But anyway, uh, pretty hard to dispute uh, Palomaro at number one. Um, as we do so very often, our research come across some pretty interesting names. Um, and you forgot the Cleveland wide receiver by the name of Fair Hooker. Um, uh, that's a fun play on words, but uh, that is indeed his name. Um, Fair A. Hooker Jr. nonetheless. Um, so there's a Fair Hooker Sr. Um, and I wanted, I wanted to mention uh, they did last week the the person as football football pro football reference cycles these in orders of importance. The least important person was a name by the person by the name of Irwin Williams, who is a six foot five, two hundred and fourteen pound wide receiver, who in uh nineteen sixty nine caught three passes, including a touchdown for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So I thought that uh thought that was pretty cool since Irwin's got his place in history as the least number least important to wear the number uh, uh, number 43. And I was kind of surprised, too, that this number was a little bit weak because, I don't know, for some reason, I, it was a number that I wore in football growing up, and I and I always thought it was kind of a cool number. I don't, I don't know. You know, people like numbers for different reasons, but I always thought it was kind of a cool number. Uh, George Atkinson was a hell of a defensive back for the Raiders. Um, as a rookie, he led the league in punt returns and punt yards. Uh, also scored two touchdowns as a rookie, uh, returning punts. Scored seven total touchdowns in his career, which is not bad for a, a defensive slash kick return type of player. Also led the league in returns, return yardage on kickoffs as a rookie. Um, uh, just a, a big part of a, a very historic uh, Oakland uh, dynasty there in the uh, the seventies. For like I said, three returns, three punt returns. Um, also, also only had 13 interceptions, which certainly is why that he's not a more of a a more notable figure. Um, another crazy name from the vault, uh, Spider Lockhart, um, for played for uh, the New York Giants. Carl Ford Lockhart was his real name, but he played for the New York Giants from 65 to 75. 41 career interceptions. That's pretty uh, a pretty nice uh, nice number there, considering uh, the years that uh, he played in. Um, a guy that I always remembered as just a as a as a brutal safety for the New York Giants in the in the 80s uh, by the name of Terry Kennard um, went to Houston for his final year and wore the number 27, but he wore 43 for the Giants and was just a – he was a free safety, but I, I remember him laying the shoulder down on some people, certainly there uh, in the 80s, 31 career interceptions there for uh, uh, for Mr. Kennard. So, yeah, like I said, kind of a kind of a weak number, probably the best uh, known – excuse me, the best current is either T.J. Ward or, of course, Sproles. Sproles is certainly a, a great uh, – 
a great player to mention and just an absolute fun player to mention. I thought it'd maybe be fun sometime, Nick, when we have a down week to talk about some of the most exciting players, you know, maybe not fantasy wise, but I Sproles is just, it's, there's always that element of anticipation when he touches the ball. And I think there's only really been just a handful of guys where you kind of just, you know, kind of hold your breath in when they touch the ball and they make that first move and the first guy misses because you know something special could very happen. I I, I feel I kind of felt the same way, Nick, when, when you'd see Michael Vick take his five-step drop and then step up in the pocket because you didn't know if he was going to just use that awesome arm of his and swing the ball 60 yards downfield or if he was going to scamper for 15, 20 yards with his legs. It just You know what I'm saying? They just There's just a handful of players that we've seen in our lifetime that just have that and anticipation of excitement every time that they touch the ball. Does that make sense? Oh, definitely. Uh, Dante Hall, I believe, the Kansas City Chiefs uh, return man for a lot of years. He's another guy I would throw into that group. Just yeah, you never know what's going to happen every time they every time they have the ball in their hands. Yeah, and especially like like uh, even a guy like Devin Hester. You know, the the second they make that first guy miss, you know that could open this cavernous hole in the. In the coverage there, but same thing with second that ball, Mike Vick would tuck that ball. You're just like, all right, what's going to go on here? And Sproles is, is the exact same way. I mean, he he was just such a, a fun cog to any any offensive machine and just certainly a great player. But the best number 43 has to be Troy Palomal. It's We've... We've seen safeties come and go, and uh, he's he's a name that's going to be remembered for a lot of years just because he was such an absolutely solid player there. So uh, that is all we have for you today. Uh, Nick, any closing thoughts there? Um, can't really think of anything. I think we uh, touched on everything. Uh, enjoy the week off, and we will come back to you in two weeks, right? Yep. Yeah, like I said, we'll be off next week, but we will be re- rejoining you uh, August 3rd. Um, I also do want to mention that we have um, another podcast in the works um, by uh, a, a new writer by the name of Chris Tubbs, who's got some radio chops in his background there. So we kind of have a, a redraft podcast coming to you sometime in the early August as well. So you might have two podcasts to listen to uh, the first week of August. So uh, make sure you look forward to that as we continue to try to be your, uh, your full service fantasy, uh, fantasy website. Um, we, this is the dynasty pulse podcast. Uh, we are powered by the fantasy data.com. Like I said, if you haven't been there, it's a small monthly fee to get just, an enormous amount of stats thrown your way. And it's fun for me to go there and distribute it and look at snap count percentages and just and eat it up. And, and they're doing more and more sports all the time, but they're already just kicking butt fantasy football wise. So make sure you check that out where you're powered by the fantasy data, because that's where I get a lot of my stats from. So the dynasty pulse powered by the fantasy data.com. Uh, he's Nick Wagner. I am Joshua Johnson. I hope you folks have a great couple weeks and we will talk to you uh, August 3rd and stay tuned uh, to uh, DFW for obviously more articles every day. Nick, did you happen to read the Corey Coleman article from this morning? I have not had a chance to yet, but I definitely, that's okay. on my to-do list today. Sure. Alan, Alan Siley literally just knocks it out of the park, kind of trying to tamper people's expectations with Coleman. And it makes a whole lot of sense. And 
you might disagree with it, that's fine. Get, get on there and give us a comment of why you disagree with it. But uh, uh, just a, just a little taste of what we do each and every day here because we try we tried to do it just for you guys. So make sure you check it out. Um, this has been the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. Thank you, and have a good couple weeks, Nick. You too. <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.